0.9 capital who led that seed had actually written us a small check in the angel round. You know, in, in sort of framing the competition, I went in pretty bullish with everyone on like, we're going to kill Microsoft Word. I, I have like one shot to kind of go and pitch to the co-founder of Gumtree. It's so damn hard, right? Raising money. You've got to, you've got to go to pretty extreme lengths. Hi, and thanks for tuning in. My guest today is Richard Maybe, who is the co-founder and CEO of Jural. Jura was the all-in-one contract automation platform which enables your team to create, approve, sign and manage contracts in one unified workspace. I invited Richard on the show to talk me through his seed round of 2 million, his series A round of 5 million and his most recent round, series B of 23 million. We talk about the importance of picking the right VCs and Richard explains how his customers introduced Juro to the investors in the United States. I'm your host, Mark McDonough, and this is the UKTN Podcast. Our sponsors of the show, Uncapped, believe it's crazy that for e-commerce businesses to fund growth through marketing, infantry, or hiring, they have to sell equity to VCs, especially when they know they'll make that money back right away. Uncapped solved that problem. Already helping over 500 businesses worldwide, they offer up to 5 million of capital for a flat fee. You pay back only as you generate sales, no dilution or loss of control. Founders simply apply online, receive a decision within 24 hours, and make monthly repayments that flex with your revenue. Head to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN to find out more. And to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10. That's UKTN10. Now let's get into the show. You've obviously closed a number of rounds of funding. Mm -hmm. From from Angel to C to Series A, right up to your latest round, Series B, and I'd I'd love to get an insight based on what we've talked about before along your journey from from your Angel round to to how difficult you found that and what you went through to to really get your first funding stage up and running, um, and what you learned along the way. So like. If you want to take me back to to the, I think it was was it twenty seventeen when you went through the the first hour? Or was that twenty sixteen? It was twenty twenty seventeen. Yeah, so that's when we did our our first seed round, and um, yeah, it seems a long time now um, since since we did that. Uh, but you know, it, it's never easy, right? So I think you know a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs ultimately make it look easy. Um, but you know, thinking back then, I guess. We were probably a team of seven people, maybe six or seven people at the time. Um, I think we had maybe like one or two paying customers as kind of half-built products. Um, so actually, you know, one big part of the challenge was, you know, were we ready to go and get funding? Uh, and actually just like the business challenges of have we got product market fit and, um, you know, are we the right team to kind of execute on that? That was like definitely front of mind. And then also just like, I just didn't know much about investment, right? So this whole VC thing that gets a lot of press now um, was a little bit foreign to me, right? I didn't know anyone in VC, didn't know how that worked, um, didn't know like how much you're supposed to raise, what you were supposed to do. So um, yeah, we were pretty green um, and, you know, it took us a little bit of time to kind of work out what's what was what. And, he, and even like figuring out how much to ask for. You know, right. like, when you figured out how much you were you were going to go after, was it a case of just 
you know, knocking on doors, sending out emails, being introduced to people. Like how many how many people did you did you actually personally meet yourself before before someone, you know, really invested in you? Short answer is way too many people. Um so I think um you know, we, we started out casting like a wide net of like, let's speak to anyone who uh, is an angel who has, you know, some capital that we've read about. Um, and, you know, after kind of a couple of months of doing that, what we kind of realized was actually the universe of people who really would want to invest in Juro is actually like relatively small. Um, so, you know, angels probably based in Europe, probably who had an interest in SaaS and software as a service. Um, and so, we got a little smarter after a while out kind of work out who those people were. Um, and then when we actually got those meetings, so I was, you know, thinking back to that round, a big one was with Reshma Sahoni at Seedcamp. Um, uh, and then the kind of early angels who invested like Paul Forster and Michael Pennington, um, they were actually interested in what we were doing. Uh, and it kind of fit within, you know, their thesis or kind of what they thought was going to become big. And, and that's that's really where we made made progress, right? Because otherwise, you're selling something to the wrong the wrong customer, right? Um, yeah. So it was figuring out who, uh, why, why they would care, because you know, these VCs get like send like five thousand, ten thousand pitch decks a year, right? So somehow you've got to you got to be pretty compelling to just get in the door, and then when you're there, you have to give a a really good reason why you know they should take what was at that point a, a really big risk. Did you have to hone your pitch a lot? Um, and change it like 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 it's always going to happen you know you're you're meeting so many people you're you're explaining your story over and over again did it change much um between the, the amount of no's or people that weren't interested to what actually got you the yes in the first place it, it did yes um I mean, I think like repeating yourself is something you kind of really get used to as an entrepreneur, right? So even now at All Hands, which I lead every Friday morning at Juro, I started by just repeating our like three objective strategy for the year and everyone gets kind of sick to death of it, but everyone knows what it is, right? And so I think, you know, in pitching, it's the same thing, right? Which is you're constantly telling the same story and you've got to each time bring energy and make it like exciting and um, and it does, you know, it gets tiring, right? If you're doing 30, 40 pitches, there's, there's no doubt. Um, I think definitely, and, and I, I've known from other entrepreneurs, this happens quite a lot is there's a learning curve during the fundraising process. So you start out pitching, you know, you get feedback, people say, Hey, look, that really sucked. Or, you know, that bit was good. That bit wasn't, or maybe you want to rejig this. And if you're good at learning and you like learning, you, you become better. Um, so you know, I think as we've gone on, we've become much more sophisticated in these funding rounds about like who we speak to and when. So, you know, you don't actually want to roll out the VC. You really want to close first, right? You yeah. want to make the mistakes elsewhere. So there's definitely that. Um, and, you know, people like Mathilde uh, Collin at Front has written about this, I think, on her blog. But, um, you know, you, you, you've got to practice a lot. And I think by the time we got to the B round, you know, we're practicing with, you know, actually like not investors or people on our board and um you know this kind of risk-free environment to learn yeah but you, you know yourself that whenever it's like you know risk-free environment to to try and put on a, a brave face and go out and ask for money it's never the same you know yes. in terms of you know something that can go wrong will go wrong when you when you think back to your 
angel round. What is there anything you would change that you think would speed up? Knowing what you know now, is there anything that you 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 think would have changed the the speed of it coming in? Yeah, so so in that early round, I mean, so I now do some angel investing myself. So I see I see it from the other side of the table a little bit, right? Yeah. And so I, I now see pitches, and I I look at it, and I go, oh my god, that's as bad as I was when I was pitching for this. Um, or I go, <laughs> God, I wish I wish I'd done that. Um, so um, yeah, like if I think about the most sophisticated pitches I have now, so I had one uh, yesterday from an entrepreneur, something like a Notion page with sort of highlights of how things were going, like a Loom. A demo of the products, like a really kind of crisp uh, pitch deck. And yet we didn't do any of that stuff. So we were sort of just, you know, going for like coffees with people and like chatting them about our product because that's what, you know, we were passionate about and still are passionate about. Um, but, you know, telling that story uh, with great collateral. So, you know, a deck that is really, really great, um, not just some random charts, but actually tells the story. I think that goes a long way because, like, you know, if you think of, um, you know, Jan Hammer at Index has got this framework of team traction and technology being the things that investors look for. Back then, you probably don't have that much traction, right? Because this is an angel round. So you've got team and technology. So the product better be great, um, or at least what you've built of it. And then the team, right? And so, you know, how do you assess a team? And I think one way is um, they're looking for how entrepreneurs are thinking about that product, right? So you take a DAC, for example. If it starts with like a, a really succinct uh, problem statement that everyone could understand, if it shows you a solution, which by slide two or three, you're like, yeah, I, I kind of get this, you're so much more likely to succeed. Um, and, and if you have a deck which is a little bit waffly, a little bit long, then as an angel, you start to think, well, actually, you know, this maybe this is in clarity of thought. And if they can't put together a pitch deck, can they put together the deck that's going to go for out in front of customers? And can they do that well? And if they can't put together like a simple 10 slide deck, do they really actually have this kind of strong vision and clarity of, of thought and focus that's going to make them succeed. So I think all of those little things I wish we had spent a little bit more time on. Um, and then, yeah, it would have helped us move a little faster. Because, because as I said, like you're you have just closed your fourth round of funding. Um, so you, you close Angel was was a million. Your seed was two. Um, your Series B was five million, and then your your Series A was was twenty three. Your, your most recent round. Um, mo- moving on to say your your seed of two. Mm. How, because you know, like as as you grow as a company, you now have uh, data and metrics and numbers that people, because you you go from the idea that people are bought into and the opportunity with with the, say the angel round, and yeah. a lot of people normally say that that is the easiest round they've closed because there are no numbers in place. Now yes. you're you're a little bit further down the road with your with your seeds. You've got numbers in place. Um, how did that go? Because you went, as I said, from 1 million to 2 million. So so for us, that was actually like reasonably straightforward because um, Point Nine Capital, who led that seed, had actually written us a small check in the angel round. Uh, so they came in like okay. late into the angel round and uh, Christoph and Rodrigo had the kind of vision uh, and the appetite to do that. Um, and so we kind of got to know them and we were able to share updates with them, right? So we had an advantage there, but you know, sharing information with investors uh, if you do it in the right way can be quite compelling so that like when you come to raise it's not this big old exercise it's actually people you've you've built a relationship with they've got to know you and your product um and we had our, our, our i think all of our angels pretty much followed on in that round as well so actually 
it was by virtue of having really like doubled down on the business, got it right, got the metrics where they needed to be, that that made it a little bit easier. Um, and that that was in contrast from our angel round because we were like nowhere at that point, right? So you're yeah. asking for belief. You get the next round up, you've got some actual proof points. So you're like, well, you know, we, I don't know, we were in sort of tens of thousands of MRR maybe. Um, we had great customers. We had sort of unicorn valuation customers using it. And there was like a thing to sell, just a sellable asset. Um, so as you see, it wasn't, wasn't yeah, too bad for us. You, you actually brought on some, some really impressive um, investors. Like, as you said, you, you had 0.9 capital involved, you had seed camp involved. But then at this stage, am I right? The, the co, one of the co-founders, uh, Tavid from, um, from TransferWise, which is now Wise, um, you had Michael, who was one of the co-founders of Gumtree, and Paul, who's one of the co-founders of Indeed. Like, there are some pretty impressive companies um, to have the, the, the co-founders investing in you. Like, the, the wealth of knowledge that that comes with that is, is like, you can't put a value on that. Um, and I, I like we've always spoken to people in the past through through startup van when we were interviewing founders, and a lot of the a lot of the information we were uh, being fed back was when you're when you're looking for investors, it's so important to bring on smart money than just the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, what was there was there a plan that you had when when these investors were coming on board? Did did you just happen to come across these people and get a chance to? Because again, like the wealth of knowledge and information there is just unbelievable at such a st- an early age, like a stage. Which is like, yeah, th- it is true that we had we had very smart people come in super early, so that definitely helped us a lot. Um, in terms of how we did that, you know, it's it, it's it's honestly quite a lot of luck, I would say, um, and, and and then some making your own luck, right? So, um, you know, if you think about um, Paul Forster and Michael and um, you know Tavet and you know Tavet invested in our Series B just just recently as well. Um, I, th- I think you've got to be very compelling when you get the chance, right? So to yeah. get the foot in the door, that that's hard already. But you know we were lucky; we had a great network through Seedcamp, having in, you know invested right at the beginning, and um, you know spent some time investing in those relationships. Um, but you know that chance you get, that shot you get, right, where you're kind of I don't know. I remember with Michael, we were in some cafe somewhere in London, and um, I, I have like one shot to kind of go and pitch to the co-founder of Gumtree, like thirty minutes. And you got to do a good job, right? Like the, yeah, exactly. those shots don't happen that often. So, so how do you do a good job? Um, I think uh, extreme personalization. Um, so you know, like I, I invested in a, this this uh, in a company we haven't announced it yet, but it was just a cold email to me. Right, so there was no like, hey, you've got this um, like network and you know all these angels. It was just like the best cold email ever, just enough to just like make me want to take the call. And I took the call and I saw amazing metrics. And I've met these amazing entrepreneurs, and you know, it's, sometimes it happens like that. And and yeah. um, it's not always the sort of you know get this warm intro thing. Um, but the difference is, it's got to be like really compelling. So. I think like when we had those shots and we had those meetings, I remember going to meet Tavet at the the what was then the TransferWise uh, office and having a chat. Um, make it personalized, make it compelling for them. Um, make sure you've read like what they're interested in, um, and just like don't don't beat around the bush, right? Like all of these people are so busy, they want you to get to the point. So we talked about like pitch decks. You know, if by slide three they're not sold, I can tell you they're not going to be sold sold by like slide ten, right? So getting to the point, 
you know, clarity of communication, like what do you solve? Like, why is this company? What is this company? Like, why is it important? Why are you, why are you going to win as a team? Telling that story really well helps. Um, and then, of course, if you get some good people, that helps you get more good people, right? Because there's a sort of assurance of trust. Um, you know, we had Rashma invested and then Michael invested and Paul. And, um, and you know, investors want to work with people that they have worked with before or trust. Um, and you build momentum in that way. But yeah, when you get the shots, you, you got to make it count. You, see, you, you were also in a, a quite a fortunate position um, when it was, I'm, I'm thinking back now to 2018, which your your um, your seed round, where you had a number of or several, I should say, tech unicorns and Fortune 500 companies trialing your product. So was that something that really got these VCs' attention um, when you when you go and talk to them, and you know, like they're always going to ask like how how how. Uh, things are going what what kind of revenue is coming in um, and metrics and all but having big players like that was that a was that a complete and utter door opener and game changer i think it was yeah i mean you know we we talked about team traction technology right like team and technology are kind of subjective right so some of you might be like you know you seem like a guys, or they might say, "Look, you know, you, you, your, your your platform looks cool, but like, you know, most people don't know about contract automation platforms, right?" What you can't argue with is traction, right? And so there's degrees of traction. So the best kind of traction is just like rapid growth. If you're growing at like a hundred percent a month, <laughs> um, you know, that answers a lot of questions. Um, if you're growing at like you know five ten percent a month, uh, decent but like not stellar growth, let's say, um, then it definitely helps to have good logos, right? Um, because what that indicates to the investor is not only are there some people pulling your products, but actually there are like smart people. So you know, our early customers, um, you know, we had probably like five or six like tech unicorn customers. Um, and that indicated to the investors that, you know, actually like people who are operating in like world-class environments are using this technology to kind of process their contracts. Um, and uh, yeah, it helps a lot. And, and you know, how do you get that stuff? Like I just sold it myself, right? Like you, you got to, as a founder, go out and grab these deals. And you know, by the time I sort of made loads of mistakes and sort of some things worked out and some didn't, we'd actually got some customers. And and I'd also kind of learned generally like how we could sell the product. And that helped me to hire people like way better than me uh, in our sales team um, to go and make that happen. Um, but, you know, in the early days, you're kind of on your own. You've got a you know, few hundred thousand in funding. You're not going to have a massive team. You're not going to have heavy hitters going and doing it. You just got to you got to get it somehow. And, you know, it's hard. It's, it's really, really hard. But but you learn a lot on the way. I know you, you told us in the past that with your, with your seed round, that a lot of the money was going towards growing the team and, you know, obviously behind the machine learning as well for Jiro. Um with say hiring the likes of data scientists and machine learning engineers like they're not what would i say they're not cheap employees like you're you're going after people that are you know well educated um and are looking for high salaries so like is it difficult when you know like you see a lot of your 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 money at the beginning going after extremely um high qualified employees 
Definitely. I mean, you know, the, the hard thing I always think about startups and the, the hard reality is there are some people who are great at like the seed stage. There are some people who are great at the scale up phase. There's some people who are great at just like company building down the line when you're sort of tens of millions in ARR. And, um, you know, when you understand that, like what you look for in those early employees is kind of like a unicorn profile, right? So you're looking for, yeah, people who are highly skilled, right? But, you know, certainly in a seed stage, they may not be, you know, people who've come from larger companies, or they may not be people who've, you know, just bounced out of a sort of tech tech unicorn. Um, you got to go and go and find them somehow. And I think for us, you know, engineering was a huge thing. I mean, still a huge thing at Jerusalem, hiring loads and loads of engineers. Um finding like the right mindset of like product design engineers um you know it's it's hard and you need you need need, like this impossible set of things where on the one hand you're just like a seed stage company right so like why does anyone actually want to work for you right and take this massive risk um yeah and and on the other hand you just really don't have that much cash right so going and paying these huge salaries isn't a thing so again, finding that like perfect match of people who really believe in your mission, are really excited about your product, um, are in a position in life where they can take some degree of risk. Um, you find those and you probably at that stage, honestly, keep like quite a short, a small team, right? Because, you know, you're probably pre-product market fit at the seed stage. So you're not yet just like scaling things up. Um, and you don't actually need that many people, but you do need to optimize for for those there's people in that narrow intersection. If you do that, then combine with the founders, and you know, you, you know, even I was committing code like to our code base, code base at that point, but um, certainly my co-founder was all the time. Um, you know, you, you somehow got to get to that biting point, and then you raise the big checks and you get the big VCs, and all of a sudden you find you can actually hire great managers, and it's a little bit easier. Well, moving on then to your because I haven't spoken to you since you you raised your series A mm. um so um you you raised your series A I think it was in January 2020 um which was was 5 million well look you might have raised it before that but when it was public it was it was January yeah it was January um, yeah you you brought on again some pretty impressive investors like Union Square Ventures came on board, uh, New York-based VC firm. And it'd be interesting to to hear from you because, you know, now you're outside the UK. Like, I know know you've grown dramatically with customers outside of the UK. Like, I think even... um, at your your seed round, you were in about 12 countries and now you're, you're... in January 2020, you're moving into about 50 different countries until now where you're in 85 plus countries. But back then with, with this round, which was your, your series a 5 million, were you, were you traveling back and forth? Well, yeah, this is, I think um, just before we went into lockdown, right? Um, did you have to travel back and forth to, to get this funding? Was it all, was it all done over, over a phone? How, how did this work? A quick sponsor reminder, if you're looking to fund growth without having to give away equity, Uncapped solved this problem. To find out more, go to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN and to avail of a 10% discount off your fees, use the code UKTN10. That's UKTN10. 
Yeah, it's a really good question. So I, I did go in person um, for the final pitch with Union Square Ventures. Um, so we had done it, you know, remotely on on Zoom up until this point. And, you know, John, who's on our board now said, you know, I think you better come and like meet the meet the partnerships partnership here and, and pitch to them. And, you know, like fundraising is a little bit of sales, right? So sales is usually better in person. So I remember flying out um, on, I, I bought a ticket for like, I remember it was like 250 pounds ticket return on Norwegian Airways. Um, cause we didn't have that much cash at the time. Um, and, and yeah, I went there and, you know, the first mistake I made is actually Union Square Ventures not ma- it's not based in Union Square. <laughs> so that was, so I actually nearly missed the meeting, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I eventually found their office. Um, and yeah, look, it, it helped, it helps to go there. I mean, you know, not everyone's in a position to be like flying around the world fundraising. Um, and we'd done, we'd been to the West Coast as well, um, and, and sort of walked up and down Sandhill Road, going and seeing VCs. Um, but you know, we we like uh, it, it, suddenly I just built a great relationship with John, and um, you know, Square is just like the most absurdly successful venture capital firm, where they generally, like, historically at least, have written like relatively small checks um, and had enormous outcomes. So I remember, um, you know, doing my research on the way they had led Twitter's Series A, put like five million in Twitter. Um, they led Coinbase's Series A, put five million in. They had I don't know their holdings were eight billion or something by the end of it. So they had these like massive successes, and it, it, it was an interesting investment for them because they're not they do some SaaS investing, but not you know as much as like point nine for example had done. But they very. Um, you know, into consumerized products, um, uh, big believers in design thinking. Um, and, and you know, I just got on really well with John. And by that point, we probably had like, I don't know, 10, 20% of our business in the US. It's now like 40% in the US. But um, uh, so, you know, we had some track record there. And this was a firm who actually really wanted to invest in European companies, which which isn't always the case, right? So sometimes I remember our conversations on Sand Hill Road, mostly like, hey, like you got to get out of the UK, just flip the company, come and move here to San Francisco. We're going to hire some big, you know, heavy hitting execs. And that's, yeah, it's the right decision for some companies, but we, we didn't want to do that. Like we wanted to build in Europe a really, really big company. Um, and, and, th- and they were aligned with that. So it was, again, you know, one of these things, you, you test these things out, you go dating with these VCs, and we just found a great fit there, um, and we've had a great experience with them. And with the likes of, of Union Square, does do things with your, say, angel round and your seed round and the impressive investors that you got on or you got on board then, did that, again, coupled with, probably some of the brands that were using Juro at this stage as well. Was it, was it a, a big mix of everything that, that impressed these guys or was it the, was it the actual company and what you were doing? Um, that all, like, of course that impressed them as well, but d- does it all just come together nicely for you there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, again, so team traction technology, where were we? We, we started to see traction. So there was like, you know, you could point to charts and people would just get interested by that, right? So, um, you know, revenue growth, you know, in the last last year, we more than tripled our ARR. Um, so, you know, that that tells a story in, in and of itself, right? Um, and you don't have that at the angel phase, but you do in the, in the later rounds. Um, so that was one big thing. Um, I, I think on the technology as well, like the kind of level of product satisfaction we were getting was pretty high. Um, 
So we've sort of, you know, been able to invest this capital heavily in product design engineering, got to a point where people were actually starting to love the product and not just go, hey, I believe in this thing. It's a little bit buggy, but I believe in it. That helped as well. And then, yeah, look, exactly as you say, you know, the fact that we had already got good investors around the table, that helped a lot, right? So if you look at our board today, we have director from uh, Eight Roads, Alston Zacho, who's fantastic. We have John Buttrick, who led our A round, again, fantastic. We, then we also have um, Rodrigo Martinez, who led the seed round. Uh, and we have Paul Forster, who basically like put the largest check in the angel round. Um, and so actually we have the whole story of those funding rounds around one table. Um, and we've built, you know, a team um, who works together and uh, has been, you know, hugely supportive of the company. So, yeah, it helps. And, you know, in, like very concretely, when investors are doing due diligence, they tend to phone the other investors, like, how's it going? You know, we've we worked with you guys before. Like, how excited are you about these people? What's their, what are their problems? Um, and I think, you know, more and more people value honesty and authenticity and uh, and, and trust in these things. And probably you, know, I, you never know about these conversations but probably um our investors said hey these are the amazing things about the company uh, and also here are some things that aren't amazing and they've got to fix um and, and you start building relationships in that way and then everyone gets around the table and you can work together you know as a team one thing i love about your series a round is that you you used juro uh, to <laughs> negotiate and close the round of funding with union square um, I take it that happened in the past with others as well, or was this really the first time you got to use your own product to close your own round? It is a good one. I mean, we tried it in all the rounds. So in the first round, we had so so few features. I think we managed to like sign a term sheet in the seed round through it. Um, by the time we got to the Series A, it was kind of you know a, a more slick experience. Um, and then when we got to like the Series B, we you know we'd use our product for loads of things now, and we could actually do, for example, like redlining and negotiation of contracts in the browser, which we couldn't do before. Um, so yeah, it's like every time it's always a hairy moment, right? Where you're just signing a term sheet, you want anything to go wrong yeah, with the product. Work. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, and it's cool, you know, and like we. I think also we talked about like things like decks, right? I remember the, 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 our deck is actually, you can find it somewhere on the internet. If you just search for like Juro Series B deck, it's it's out there. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I remember we had this cover page in the deck, which was just an, a letter from me, which was an image of a contract. So it was just like something I'd written in our contract editor online and we put it there. Um, just these little touches, you know, it's just so it's so damn hard, right? Raising money. You've got to, you've got to go to pretty extreme lengths so that not only when people are reading about this stuff, you're talking to them, they're not just thinking, yeah, this kind of makes sense. They're sort of just a little bit wild, like a little bit excited and, 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 you know, things go from there. It, it's pretty ambitious what, what you're doing. And I, I love the product and I love the company. And when it comes to you talking to some of these VCs early stage and even now, even with your, your we'll move on to your, your Series B, um, like you had described, like if you think Google Docs uh, backed by legal smarts and where you're, you want the plan is to like pull um, users from Microsoft Word uh, out and you're also up against companies like um, DocuSign as well, which has recently mm. been valued about 54 billion, you know, and you do hear the, you know, some stories of leaving, not mentioning 
competitors like that to some VCs because straight away you kind of go, you're taking yeah. on Microsoft, you know, yeah. really? <laughs> you know, so like, did, did you mention that in early days or was it something you kind of added in and just figured out as, as you were going along or like, cause I'd love to, I'd love to hear the type of responses, uh, positive and negative that you yeah. had when people heard who your competition were. We, we definitely have had both. <laughs> um, I can imagine. I can imagine. It, it's, a, it's a really great question, right? So like, um, so yeah, so, so like briefly, like what are we trying to achieve at Juro? We're trying to uh, dethrone Microsoft Word as the way to agree contracts. That's basically what we're trying to do in a nutshell. Um, and that's pretty ambitious, right? Um, and our insight behind the business was essentially okay, well, everyone hates contracts. Um, they're very slow and cumbersome and very manual, like live on your desktop. And I remember just looking at the like solutions like DocuSign, and as far as I could see, DocuSign was essentially, let's take a PDF and stick a JPEG of a signature on a PDF. It's kind of like putting a file on a file. And it definitely solves something, right? So if you, you know, print out a document and scan it, obviously that's worse. But it still didn't solve the problem of like, negotiation, right? So these like, fundamental issues which we knew in our heart of hearts to be painful. And I, and I think that's that's where it starts, is do you actually have conviction yourself, right? And you need a lot of conviction, right? Because some, some people start companies just, I don't clone, clone another company, like flip it or whatever, which is, you know, it, it's fine. It's just, it's so hard to start a company. If you don't believe it in yourself, it, it shows, right? And, it, it, you know, down the line, it's it's hard to win that. So let's, let's assume you then have conviction. Um, to answer your question, like, it depends who you talk to, right? So if you speak to an angel, they might have like actually a lower risk profile, not always, but sometimes, where they might say, look, let's see if we can 10x the value of this company and, and get a healthy exit. So some angels might be in that profile. Some, you know, you know, Tabit has made lots of kind of big bets, probably more of the view of like, you know, let's actually build like kind of world beating company. So you know, in, in sort of framing the competition, I went in pretty bullish with everyone on like, we're going to kill Microsoft Word. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think the VC is like that, right? Because they, they they exist for the big outcomes, right? Like the only thing that really matters to a VC is can you get a, a multi-billion dollar outcome uh, from, a, from a company? Um, and so actually, I think that landed like generally quite well, which was, you know, the sort of base case here is that we can build quite a good business that um, is going to do well and there's revenues and stuff, but there's also a moonshot, right? There's this kind of moonshot optionality, which is actually you could build something that is huge. Like you could build something that is bigger than DocuSign. And that's that actually got people like pretty excited. I think you just you've just got to have real reasons to believe that's true, right? So if there's no there's nothing to back it up, it just sounds like kind of insanity. Um, and and we we had lots of examples, by the way, of you know VCs, um, maybe, yeah, maybe more VCs and angels who were just like straight no, <laughs> who were just like, hey, no, DocuSign's done this, like there's not going to be anything here, um, or uh, you know lawyers are never going to leave Microsoft Word. In fact, like actually most of our competitors still are of that view, right? So the the platforms out there are mostly just like workflow tools from Microsoft Word. So we, we, we've kind of stood alone on that. And, you know, it takes time, but, you know, in the last year we had like 250,000 contracts processed outside of Microsoft Word in like Juro native format. So actually the sort of the prophecy, <laughs> prophecies of starting to become true a little bit. And that's where, you know, you become even more bullish on, on the competitive landscape. So you, you, as we mentioned throughout, you've 
just recently closed your Series B, 23 million. And that was led by eight road or eight roads. Um, And, you know, they've they've backed some pretty impressive companies as well. Again, opening up a lot of doors for you. Like when they bring on like um, new board members as well, do do you really see, do you instantly see the value that that brings on board? F- for sure, for sure. I mean, like the, the, the Series B was like, that was definitely our like easiest like fundraising round. Um, and I think like, you know, partly because we had the traction. So like the story is a little bit like clearer, but the, like the absolute best thing about the eight roads relationship is it actually came from our customers. So, you know, people always talk about getting introductions to VCs, you know, are you connected on LinkedIn, like, you know, can you find a warm intro? But actually, um, we worked with like, I think three or four customers, like of the portfolio companies of Eight Roads, who had uh, said to Alston, who's now on our board, um, you should check out this Juro thing. <laughs> so it was like, you know, we were sort of working with Kazoo and Funnel and Mention Me and um, they were all saying like really nice things and he was going to board meetings and saying, oh, we, we've implemented Juro and someone else like we've implemented Juro. And, um, you know, and then I remember he said he'd got sent a contract to sign on the other side of it, like a Juro contract. And just like, what the hell is this Juro thing? Why do people keep saying nice things about it? So actually that was like the best intro ever, right? This is like a happy customer is making the intro. Um, so that helped like massively. Um, but you know, to your question on value, um, I think you've got to be really careful here, right? Because I've heard a we've been really lucky at Trevor. I've heard a lot of horror stories and yeah, the fundraising. So yeah, I'm sure you must, must hear this all the time, right? But like, I think you, you know, the the funny thing about fundraising is you're doing sales for a lot of it, right? So you're just like, please invest in my company, but then you've got to flip that more into like HR which is let me interview this person and make sure that this is someone who I really want to work with, who's going to be like super helpful to the company. Um, and so, you know, when we were in a position um, where, you know, the round was looking good, I, we did, you know, reference calls. So we spoke to some other portfolio companies, you know, that, that, that these, these, we did this in the A round as well, that the, the fund had worked with, um, ask really like tough questions to, as if you're like hiring a person, right, to, to join your team. And, um, and that made a big difference, right? Because you start to hear like consistent things, um, you, you hear good things, um, you, you also get to understand these people a little bit better. And so that when you're starting on like day zero, which is actually like after quite a lot of work in like getting a round agreed, um, you know who you're working with. You build a relationship with them and you can just get to work, right? And I think Olsen and John have been, you know, fantastic at that. Were you also in a position, because you would have closed this round now during COVID, um, so were, was your company in a position that it was extremely, let's just call it COVID-friendly because so much was happening online um, and now you know, you see companies like like DocuSign and Zoom and others, which are your typical lockdown companies, really accelerating. Were you are would you consider yourself being in that type of category? And did that did that help massively with closing this round? I, I think I mean it definitely helped our growth. Um, so like you know, Doc, DocuSign share price just like went crazy during COVID, and um, it actually more or less crashed the day we um, signed our funding round. Which maybe coincidence or not coincidence, but um, 
that certainly we were in the category of um, when people are working remotely, they need more collaborative software. And, you know, we're a all-in-one contract automation platform. We're squarely in that category. And so we, we definitely saw like a really interesting thing where a lot of traditional businesses had come to us and said like, you know, because most of the time people like switch from DocuSign to Duro, right? But sometimes yeah. we heard from some of these businesses who were like, we used to have a printer and a scanner, but like, I don't have a printer and a scanner in my house because it's not like 1995. So like we literally cannot <laughs> sign contracts. And we had like quite a lot of demand that came in in that way. Um, so yeah, like definitely we were in that category. But, you know, it, it's it's always a combination of things. I think by the time you're getting to a B round, you need to be showing good growth. So we had like, you know, 140% net dollar retention. We had grown like 3x year on year. We'd seen like, you know, channels that were working really well for us. We started to build out the leadership team. Um, a lot of those things have kind of come together, um, which you don't have the C stage, but at the, by the B round, you you know, you probably need really to make that work. One question I want to ask you before we finish up is, um, and I'm, I'm taking it you're, you're a reader and you read books and business books. Is there a book that you've read that has had the most impact on you and your business? So like my, at least over the last like couple of years, um, the book that I've been recommending to people is Ask Awesomely by April Dunford, um, which is a book about positioning. And, um, you know, I, I had my kind of eyes opened to positioning by this book. And, you know, I've got to know April a little bit and I think she's great. Um, which is, when, when you think about like a startup, like the number one question people have is like, what the hell do you do? You know, when you go to like startup websites, some, sometimes you're like scrolling through the website and you see lots of words about like, you know, time saving and risk reduction and like automation, AI, and you get to the end of it and you're like, that sounds great. But like, what actually is it that you do? And like, why do I care about this? So th this book has got a really neat framework for articulating effectively, like why you exist, what you do, how you different from others, who do you exist for, and then helps you like operationalize it, right? So this helped us hugely with product. It helped hugely with marketing. And we kind of were able to take our marketing website, like our landing page, from something that was kind of like something about contracts and making them faster and easier to like actually like a really like succinct value proposition. And, you know, if you get that right, it's incredible what that does to your metrics because it means more of the right kind of leads that come to your website um, who are kind of shopping around like the, you know, that that's what ideal customers look at it and they go, this sounds like it's for me and it sounds like it solves my problem and I want to convert. And I want to like speak to the team. and I want to buy this product and fewer, which is, you know, ironically a good thing, but fewer of the wrong kinds of leads come in, not really understanding what you do and like, you know, wasting a lot of the team's time. And that helps you to get to product market fit, right? Because you think of the stack, like why do you exist? What do you do? If you get all of these things right, you know, who do you sell to? What are their problems? How do you solve those problems? In loads of detail, you start building a better product. Get the bet more, more of the right kinds of people, the right problems, and you solve them better. And this is ultimately, you know, in the early stages, what it's all about. It's so important that, um, like, I completely agree with you because, like, a lot of people even find it difficult to get their elevator pitch together. Right. Never yep. mind 
get it across to someone else and especially when it's coming out in either a marketing campaign or or even you know on your website or whatever it might be when did you read that when did it start having the impact was so it, I, was I, it... I i read it a couple of probably a couple of years ago originally i still like some some through it I, I think i have it somewhere on one of these kind of bookshelves i'm sitting around right now but um yeah, like if you think before, before kind of like reading that book and getting interest in positioning, if I was like pitching my product, it would have sounded something like this. We're building this amazing contract platform where we're basically doing this really cool browser native stuff where we kind of take contracts and we make them browser native. And we do that using like a JSON data layer under the contract. And like, it's really, really incredible. You should buy it. Right. And everyone be like, I know you think it's incredible, but like, what what do you mean? And now we'd say um, Juro is an all-in-one contract automation platform that enables legal teams and the teams they enable to agree contracts faster in one unified workspace. And and all of a sudden people go, hey, wait, I'm I'm like one of those teams and uh, I have problems with contracts and I'm using five tools to agree one contract and it's now all-in-one. So it's, it's, it's very like subtle, right? But when you get that clarity of messaging, the impact is great everywhere. And that, by the way, goes for you know fundraising materials as well, right? Because if you can't get that right in your pitch deck, yeah, your VC or your investors, kind of your customer, and they're, they're just like the people on your website looking at the weird words and going, what is this thing all about? Give, give me the name of that book one more time. Ask Awesomely by April Dunford. Brilliant. Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Great to speak to you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Before you go, could you please take a moment to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast? I'd really appreciate the support. And remember, our sponsor Uncapped offer up to 5 million of capital for a flat fee. You pay back only as you generate sales. No dilution or loss of control. Apply online. Decision within 24 hours. Make monthly repayments that flex with your revenue. Head to weareuncapped.com forward slash UKTN to find out more. And to avail of a 10% discount of your fees, Use the code UKTN10, that's UKTN10.